We are in the book of Daniel, and we're in the series Surrounded by Lions. And this week we're going to look at some apocalyptic, revelation-like scripture. And I just want to kind of prepare you, and like I said last week, most preachers hit Daniel chapter 6 and they go on to another book, but we're going to delve into the next, today and the next two weeks, we're going to look at apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament. I find it fascinating. I think it's important and relevant to your life in Christ, and for you that if you're not don't know if you're saved, if you are in Christ or not. I think it's important for you to know that God is in control, that God is calling you, he's knocking at your heart's door, and God has a purpose and a plan for your life, but for everything. And, and saying all this, if you'll turn into your, your Bibles, in your tablets, phones, to Daniel chapter 7, we're going to go from last week, Daniel and the lion's den, about... 80, 90 years old, we're going to jump back 14 years to the first year of King Belshazzar's reign. And the reason why is this is when Daniel had this vision or this dream. And as we look at apocalyptic literature, I was talking to some people as they were coming in today, I, I just want you to know that I don't have all the answers. I take pretty much a conservative, middle-of-the-road approach to Scripture. If it's extreme, if it's an extreme view, I probably won't take it. I will take pretty much what the scholars have said throughout the ages. And as I preach through Daniel, I want you to realize that I have taken a conservative approach. I personally believe Daniel was written probably 600 years before Christ. And so, even though Daniel wasn't a prophet, priest, or king, per se, he was a civil servant, exiled from Israel at the age between 14 and 16 years old, we believe, and that captivity in Babylon took the majority of his whole life, 70 or 80 years, and that is what the book of Daniel spans. And so, as we look at this apocalyptic, revelatory work in Daniel that he had a vision of, I believe God's word is true. And, and the reason why it's important that it is in the canon of the Bible, and as well as Revelation, even though they're highly contested books, I want you to recognize that, that God had a plan and he had a purpose. And when Jesus quotes something, I think we ought to take it seriously, don't you? And that's what Jesus did. And so as we look at the book of Daniel, I want you to recognize that. But as we look at end times passages and apocalyptic literature, I, I have one caution, and, and that is don't get weird. Don't get weird. So when we think about end times and when we think about scriptures that have to do with the end times and Daniel does, the question that it elicits from that conversation is, I wonder when it's going to be. When is the end going to 
occur. And, and, and that leads to the question, what sign will signal, you know, Jesus' return and the end of the world? And I just want you to know, as a child growing up in a very kind of fundamental legalistic Christian church, which I love dearly, and the reason why I'm in, in church today and why I'm a preacher is because of that little fundamental legalistic Christian church that I grew up in. And, but every night when I go to sleep, I was scared to death because the judgment of God, I didn't understand grace at all, and, and I was going to hell every other day. I was scared to death. And we don't have that fear today. In fact, when, when my parents weren't home and it was dead silent at home and I didn't know where they were, and we, that was before cell phones, I thought the rapture had occurred and I'd been left behind. And if you live like I did as a child, you know why. <laughs> Not only did my mom and dad leave me behind, but Jesus left me behind too. It's kind of scary. But when we look at this, and Jesus was approached with this, you know, Lord, give us the times and the signs and so that we'll be ready. And, and he basically said, only God knows. Only the Father knows when that was going to be. Even that knowledge as the Son of God, Jesus didn't have. And I want to encourage you today as we, we look at Daniel 7, is there, that there is only one kingdom that is eternal, and there is only one king that sits on the throne. And it, it's not a political figure. It's, it's, it is God himself. And so as I kind of introduce this idea. Let's go to scripture. Daniel chapter 7 verses 1 through 8. In the first year of Belshazzar king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. He journaled what what he had seen, in other words. And I would encourage you, if you ever have a wild and crazy dream, or if you have a great idea, write it down immediately because if you're like me, you forget it. But Daniel wrote it down. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And I, I find it fascinating that Daniel and Ezekiel, if you study Revelation, very similar picture. Very similar. You'll see this in Revelation. And Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, arise, devour, much flesh. And after this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on his back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns, 
And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now, in Daniel, in Ezekiel, in Revelation, what we see is five, 500 B.C. Here is a man of God who's t- trying to describe heavenly things. When we look at Ezekiel, we see similar time period trying to describe. In, in the book of Revelation, we see first century man, apostle of God, trying to describe heavenly things. This is where language fails. This is earthly language pushed to its breaking point. How are they going to describe something that is incomprehensible and incomparable to anything that they've ever seen or done before? And so we see this going on in this passage. And then the the other question is, what are these beasts? We see four beasts. We, we see a lion with wings, that the wings are plucked, which represents Babylon. We see, we see a bear that is leaning on one side with three ribs in its mouth. And we believe this is the Median Persian kingdom. And it favored more the Persians than it did the Medes. And then we see this leopard with wings. I've never seen a leopard with wings. This is quite, quite the fantastical dream. And to me, it, it kind of appears like a cartoon. We believe that's Alexander the Great. It's the Grecian kingdom. And, and the wings connote the speed at which Alexander the Great conquered the known world within a 10-year period before he died at a very young age. And then there's this indescribable beast or thing that Daniel doesn't even give words to that is extraordinarily scary in nature, terrifying, that is like speaks and is like a man that has these ten horns and then there's these other four horns and then there's this one little horn that speaks great things. And we think this is the kingdom of Rome. So if you ever have a question in in this area of apocalyptic or revelatory literature or, or Bible then you've got to read on. The best thing you can do is to keep on reading and you will see that Daniel in the latter part of this passage, and I'm not going to have time to go there today, basically asks an angel around him because this is such a terrifying vision to him. What does this all mean? So if you're reading a verse that doesn't make sense, keep on reading. Keep on going. And I want you to realize this, as I've described all of this, that this is a parallel dream to what King Nebuchadnezzar dreamt in 
Daniel chapter 2. Remember that beautiful statue with the golden head and then it had a, a silver torso and then a bronze waist and then iron legs and then feet of iron and clay denoting that it was going, that foundation was going to crumble eventually. Well, this is the same vision in parallel. But Daniel's dream was terrifying to him. And Daniel had trouble interpreting his own dream. Yet he was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream and give him the interpretation. But then what occurs is there is a, a change, a dramatic change in this passage. Look at verse 9. And as I looked, thrones were placed, not one throne, but thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Now get that picture. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Now, Again, this is a limitation of the language at the time. That was the greatest known number, 10,000 times 10,000. So this was infinite in those terms. And the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. And what, what is believed of these books was that in these books were recorded all the details of our lives. Every sin, everything that we had ever done. Now, some of you are old enough to remember those days where the preachers would say at the end, at the invitation. Now, before you go before the throne of God, just to realize that God is going to play before you everything you've ever done in your life, good and bad. And at that point, I would be hiding under the pew, scared to death. Because I wasn't hearing much about grace. But there also is a book of life where your name is written down for eternity in the book of Revelation. So just realize that. That if you're in the grace of God, receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are saved. He holds on to you. He loves you. Now can you reject that? That's a, that's a discussion for another time. But it is really hard to outrun the grace of God. Let me say that God is, his desire is to hold on to you just like any family member that you've ever had. That's how he loves you. Now this term that we see here, the ancient of days. Now we, we sing about it. Dan had songs about it. But what I love about this term is this is the only place in the whole Bible that this term ancient of days is ever, ever Use. Isn't that fascinating? We get this picture of a holy God that sits on a throne and there's a fiery judgment that is going to come. The wheels of fire is remnants, remnants of, of the fires of hell that we read about in, in the book of Revelation. The idea that there's a great judge on his throne a wise and seasoned, pure and holy, all-knowing from the beginning of time. 
to the end of time. That is the ancient of days. And this is contrasting to these earthly kingdoms that rise and fall and rise and fall and all the drama that goes along with the ten horns and the four horns and finally the one horn. In comparison to the ancient of days who has reigned, will reign, will always reign. And then there's this one little horn that's very talkative and very boastful and very proud. Look at verses 11 and 12. And I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. This is one little horn. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. That's the judgment. And as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And what we believe this is, is that proud little horn, that beast that was there and then he wasn't, was a type of Antichrist. And I, I talked about, and we're going to talk about this next week, we're going to talk about Antiochus uh, Epiphanes that, that reigned about 200 B.C. before Christ, who, who went into the temple of God in Jerusalem and took down the altar and placed the altar or a statue of Zeus for all to worship. He, he, he blasphemed and desecrated the temple of God, and it would never, ever be the same after that. Of course, it was restored during Jesus' day, before Jesus' day, with the revolt of the Maccabees, which occurred just after. But under, understand this, that this Antioch Epiphanes was 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 this little horn, we believe, a type of Antichrist. Also, uh, as I was preaching this in first service, uh, Oren Bott, who is a historian, he said, you know, Chris, some people believe that was Nero. And I said, you're absolutely right, Warren. And there were others, Mussolini and Hitler, and you could go down through the, you know, there, there are types of Antichrist that have always existed. But but recognizes that this proud little horn beast was there and then he wasn't. Why? Because there's no power, there is no sovereign like our God. The Satan's power and the Antichrist's power is nothing in comparison to our God. They are not equal. There is no balance there. There's no yin and yang. There is God and there is no other. Do we understand? Amen? Now, when we battle in the in this spiritual realm, the Antichrist or the prince of this world is the prince of darkness. There will always be a spiritual battle in, in our world. But remember, they are not equal. God could wipe all evil out in a moment just like that. Look at verses 13 and 14. I love this. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." Now, as you read this, I hope you're asking the question, who is this son of man? Who is the son of man? 
And I want to say this, that he was like a man, but he was more than a man. Now, we are all humans in this room. Some of you may be confused, but you really are a human being. There's nothing else going on in this room at this time. And we are all sons and daughters of other humans. But this one was more than a man. And we know that to be absolutely right. We believe that's Jesus. Now, some of the scholars debate that. And, and, and if you were a Jew and you did not accept Jesus as Messiah, they, they would say it could be, this could be Israel. A, it, it could be a picture of Israel or, or one of the great prophets. But because we believe in the New Testament, we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we believe it's Jesus. Now, this is fascinating because Jesus' favorite term for himself was son of man. He uses it 80 times in the Gospels. 80 times. This was his favorite, favorite title. And, and it comes from this chapter in Daniel chapter 7. This is the first time this term, son of man, is ever used in the Old Testament. And Jesus taught with authority. You ever wonder why? There were teachers and rabbis that were, were, were very wise and had a lot of knowledge. But Jesus taught with authority. Why? You ever wonder? Well, they read the word of God. But Jesus wrote the word of God. That's the difference. He's the author. That's why he could teach with authority. In Matthew 26, 63 through 65, Jesus was before the high priest. And this is uh, in, in the court before his crucifixion. And Jesus was being accused of all kinds of things, of blasphemy. And the high priest, he, and Jesus wouldn't answer. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus had no choice but to speak then. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now that's the picture from Daniel chapter 7. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. Well, we know Jesus was speaking the truth. That high priest didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. He didn't know who he was talking to. But this picture of the Ancient of Days receiving the Son of Man, Jesus, is in Daniel chapter 7. And then he goes on in verse 21, And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Antiochus Epiphanes, as well as Nero, as well as other Antichrist, destroyed many saints, killed many innocent, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. This is how powerful the Ancient of Days is. In a moment, pow, he was gone. Now, I hope that this gives you confidence to see that kingdoms come and go. And our faith is not in governmental entities or kingdoms or even our own kingdom. Because we know the transience of life. 
But there is a kingdom that is eternal. You are or you can be a part of that kingdom. And I would encourage you, as always, to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life. And, and, and you realize that this, we went back 14 years to King Belshazzar, but also 14 years later, Daniel was in the lion's den with King Darius. Even though King Darius favored and loved and had compassion on Daniel, he still ended up in the lion's den. But God rescued him as he can rescue us. Notice what he says in verse 25 of chapter 6, what Darius says, and I think this is true, and this is kind of where I want to leave you today, that King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my do royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring how long? Forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end, to the very end. And he rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And he has rescued every one of us and wants to rescue you. How great is our God! Now, this morning, I got three takeaways. And, and this is kind of, this is, I, I kind of want to leave you with some practical and relevant things because when I preach about apocalyptic and prophecy, a lot of times that's kind of out there. But, but, but I want to tell you, there, there are some takeaways today for you. First of all, there will be Antichrist. There'll be Antichrist in your life, in your personal life. There'll be Antichrist in governments. But, but there is a God. I remember years ago, I was a youth pastor here in, in the 90s. I think it was Boris Yeltsin. I, somebody handed me that Boris Yeltsin was an Antichrist. And I, I read the book and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Well, obviously, the, the world didn't end. In, in the last 40, 35, 40 years, there have been a lot of end of days prophecies and what's important to know is that Daniel's prophecy came true. Every last bit, every detail. He wasn't like Nostradamus that forecast a bunch of general things and he hit or miss. It's not like your weather forecaster. No, he's a hundred percent dead on. There will be Antichrist. Are you aware and engaged in the spiritual battle? In the Marine Corps, they say, keep your, your head on a swivel. And I would say that to every believer, that you need to keep your head on a swivel and actively see the warfare that's going on. Because as long as we live in this life, and until Jesus returns, there will always be a spiritual battle. Second, there are two perspectives, human and heavenly. What I find fascinating is Nebuchadnezzar, when he had his dream in Daniel chapter 2, those kingdoms were beautiful. That statue was beautiful. It was shiny and bright. But when Daniel has a vision in Daniel 7 that parallels that, these were beasts that were destructive and destroying the innocent and the saved and the holy. Two different perspectives, human and heavenly. 
My question would be, which perspective do you have? Human or heavenly? And finally, the third is this. Third takeaway is God is sovereign and always victorious. We need to know and live with the confidence that God is in control of our lives. Of everything that goes on. And finally, because he's sovereign and victorious, I want to be on his side in his kingdom. Make sure that you are a citizen of heaven. Know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Know his grace and be ready. Would you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we are grateful for this time. And Father, we're thankful for Daniel and what he wrote in his book. And Father, as it's kind of terrifying, it's kind of scary, but it's also kind of exciting and very interesting. And it causes us to know that there's something beyond ourselves. That there is a future. There is eternity at stake. And Father, we just are thankful that Daniel shares what he saw in such a way that we realize that you are the ancient of days, that you are from the beginning to the very end. And Father, you have our best interest at heart in every way because we are your children and we are loved by you. And Father, we just pray that anyone that hears this, whether they're here or they're online with us today, would know your grace. And Father, we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.